0: Mother's Day is around the corner and I have the best gift idea for you. Hold on to your hats. It's mylifeinabook.com. Every week, My Life in a Book will send your mom a question via email They will compile all of your mom or the mom in your life's answers and create a legacy keepsake book. The book becomes something you and future generations can treasure forever. I gave both my mother and my mother-in-law my life in a book, and they've already started responding to the prompts. When my mother-in-law received her first prompt, she said, oh my goodness, what a thoughtful gift. And that's what we all want, right? We all want to give thoughtful gifts. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day, mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 10% off today. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers, so next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. Well, hello there, friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you are listening to episode 164 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. On today's show, we are discussing how exactly to create a playroom that satisfies both our environmental as well as our minimalist principles. Children's toys are by far the number one pain point that you all write to me about every single day. As parents, we want to provide novel play experiences for our children. We don't want our children to be deprived, of course but we also don't want to invest in an excess of cheap plastic junk that will be played with just a few times before becoming trash. Today I am speaking with Rachel Classy. Rachel has come up with what I consider to be a brilliant solution to the toy problem, and that is Tiny Earth Toys, an educational toy subscription that is curated by learning specialists. Rachel is on the show today to discuss what research says about toys and play. She's also here to offer suggestions for those of us who seek to foster bright and diverse play experiences for children without buying a lot of the plastic junk. Now, Rachel and I reference an awful lot of research today, so if you're interested in learning more, everything we cite in this week's conversation is in the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 164. Enjoy my conversation with Rachel Classy. Rachel, I am so excited to have you on the podcast because we are discussing the number one pain point for every parent Everywhere, which of course is the
1: toys. How are you doing? I'm doing so well, and I am thrilled to be talking about all of the stuff. Me too.
0: I am, you know, in my 160s of this podcast, and I really have never done a deep dive into minimalist and eco friendly playrooms. So, you are the perfect person to talk to. I really wanted to talk to you, you specifically. About this topic because of your new endeavor. Before we get there, though, introduce yourself to my listeners. Who are you
1: and what do you do? Yeah, I'm Rachel Classy and I'm the founder of Tiny Earth Toys. We are a subscription toy kit that is returned after play. So, definitely the key thing there is returning and exchanging these toys so that we can minimize clutter and chaos in the playroom. And I'm a mom of two daughters. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and and an 18-month-old daughter who have inspired this new endeavor and this journey that I'm on.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Kids and their toys, you know, they have a lot of them, right? So I would love to get into why it was important for you to create Tiny Earth Toys, and more specifically, what problems did you see in your own house surrounding toys?
1: You know, I think the the biggest problem in our house was lack of sleep, but that's for another another podcast and another topic in time our Our biggest problem was just all the stuff that it accumulated throughout the first both my first daughter and my second daughter's early years it and it wasn't just the toys; it was all of the accessories, the items our Our house really started to feel less like a home and more like a storage unit for baby products. And I mean, it's just, you'd open a closet and the things would, would fall out. It was comical and it, it really hit home for us. And there's, there's a story that I've shared with some friends and, and colleagues this, this Easter two years ago that we were celebrating with, you know, really dear family and friends. But my older daughter was two at the time and she walked away with seven Easter baskets and you know, it was so sweet, and I, I I felt so much love for my daughter. But I think six of those ended up in the garbage can. They were you know plastic, not recyclable, not things that could be regifted. And it, it just hit home for us, like what what is happening here? What what is it that that drives this for parents and families? And and really, we were observing a lot of negative implications for all of the things that were coming in our house beyond our home being. A complete mess. Um, there was just a lot of chaos, a lot of cleanup, a lot of things that started to feel like it didn't need to be that way. And yet, as a new parent, I think we were just trying to keep up with what was happening and make sure that we were present and aware and and providing the right things for our kids. But there can be a lot of confusion in the mix with that. So all of that Combined with this pandemic and being home and having a chance to be a lot more present in our home and observe what was happening was was really what led me to found Tiny Earth Toys and and try to tackle this, tackle the issue of too much stuff in the home.
0: In my home, what I've observed with my daughters is that the amount of time that they play with a toy is quite short in relation to getting bored and moving on to the next one. So a rental service sounds like the answer to my prayers, because we'll buy a toy or they'll be gifted a toy, they'll play with it for a short amount of time, and then it's discarded into the corner and it really just becomes kid clutter. But I would like to talk about what research says about toys, I've heard before; we've all probably heard before that basic is better.
1: What does that mean? I am so glad you asked this question. And um, on your on your specific comment around how much time children play with toys, as well, because they're really interrelated—the type of toy and how many toys are present. There's a lot of research around how that impacts our children. And just talking about the amount. Um, before getting to, you know, the type, basic or really complex. But the type, what's most interesting is less usually equates to better and longer sustained play. And there's this study that it has been cited many, many times done by some researchers at the University of Toledo in Ohio, and it was published in Psychology Today. But it showed that the more toys in your child's playroom, the less time they'll spend with each toy. So it's not just that it cleans it up and it makes it more simple for us and for our own environment but but toddlers and children play longer and in more sophisticated ways when there are less toys present so it's just it's really interesting to not only think about the type of toy but how many toys are present for our children and on the on the type itself, there's this um, there's this way that Some in the Montessori community talk about toys being passive versus active. And I really like that. I I think it's something that it takes a minute to wrap your brain around. But this description that passive toys create really active children. And I love that idea. And if you've seen a really intense battery operated toy where you press a button and like the toy lights up and there's a song or it does something, you know, all the child can do is press a button. And that's a really passive activity. And then the toy becomes really active. But passive toys, which are used, usually really simple, they're open-ended, it allows the child to manipulate them in different ways. And there's research that the American Academy of Pediatrics recently published, I think in 2019. But what it, what it says is that there isn't a lot of evidence that those really complex battery operated toys are doing anything developmentally for our children, even though parents believe that this is helping their children learn when in fact, there's a potential for disruption between the caregiver and child interaction. So basic is best. And, you know, there's this great article written by Magda Gerber. She's the founder of Resources of Infant Educators. It's commonly called RE, and it's titled The Best Toys for Babies Don't Do Anything. And I love that. It's it's like, you know, it's, it's basic. They don't do anything, and that allows the child to do everything. So what the research supports is that passive toys can create the best learning experiences for children, and passive toys are generally not battery-operated. They're simple. They're the toys that we grew up with. They're blocks. They're balls. They might be dolls, and that that can really promote the most activity and the most creative learning for children.
0: What I hear you saying is that basic is best and less is more when it comes to toys. And that is probably hard for a lot of listeners listening right now to wrap their heads around because parents are all united in a singular goal of wanting to provide the best experiences for our kids, provide them the most opportunities for learning and imaginative play. And so When you tell a parent, give them less toys, it kind of goes against uh, everything that (laughs) we know to be true. I'm wondering if you could give me some more details and some more examples of those passive toys. I know you mentioned blocks and dolls, but if I'm going to the store or if I'm purchasing for my daughter's birthday party, I'm not sure if I have the knowledge to be able to discern a passive toy from an active one.
1: Yeah. And getting specific here can get tricky because we have, we have toys in our homes that would probably be classified as active toys that our kids do get a lot of joy from. And by no means is anything that we are trying to do to, to, Create any any system of confusion or shame for for parents and and what they do decide to bring into their home for their kids because there's a place for a time and a place for almost everything. But how, how we've been thinking a lot about toys in our home and in the toys that we offer for at Tiny Earth Toys is, you know, the first requirement that we think about between passive and active, which is a simple one, is does this item require batteries? And if it does, there's a really good chance that that toy is made primarily of plastic and it it likely is going to take some active form once the batteries are installed. And so that doesn't mean that every battery powered toy is bad. We have some really fun and interesting ones in our home that we will bring into the rotation from time to time, but it's a great litmus test if you're looking to add more passive toys into your home and you know some of the other things to consider with with passive toys they can they can vary from you know a very basic block set which just cubes and rectangles and cylinder shaped blocks to more complex wooden or natural product toys. So a pounding bench, you know, the bench that, um, you know, it's like a little rectangle shape with pegs and, and there's a hammer and that's, you know, a a multi-stage toy that's doing a lot of different things. So it's not that they, they just need to be extremely simple, but it's that, you know, if you could imagine the item being used in multiple different ways, then your child will likely come up with many more ways than even we could imagine because their imaginations are incredible and very developed. So I, I like to start by just looking at, does this require me or my child to do one thing and then that's all that can be done? Or are there multiple ways this could be used in in different forms of play and activity? And, and if it's still confusing, I'd just say, You know, if it doesn't have a battery, there's probably more that can be done with it than if it does have a battery. Mm. And I'd take that one step further. And for parents listening right
0: now who are still concerned or still confused about the passive versus active, I would suggest taking a step back and watching your child play. I know for me in my own life, (laughs) I learned a lot by just watching my children play with their toys. My youngest daughter, for her birthday last year, received a kid's camera, lots of buttons. It had basically video games on it. And when I observed her playing with this plastic battery-operated camera, it was almost a mindless just pressing of buttons. There was no imagination happening there. (laughs) The the battery-operated toy kind of took over the play if that makes any sense is
1: that what you're saying yeah absolutely and i'm so glad you brought that concept up of observation that is exactly exactly right and and the true power that every parent has there you know we are we are the experts of our children we really are and there's great research that can supplement our own learning but we we are the, the experts and The best way to deepen our expertise is through observation. And so there's a concept of follow the child, which I really love. And that's not like follow them around from room to room, doing whatever they're doing. It's, it's observe what's happening and potentially not only follow their interests, if they're expressing interest in art or building or whatever it may be, but you know the, the opportunity to observe first to see how they're interacting and engaging both in their environment as well as with the items that are in their environment can be so powerful to understanding what they may need more of and may need less of in in their playroom and in their home. I love that. Hmm.
0: As I was preparing for this interview, I was really surprised to learn that even though play interests vary across cultures, basic toys are better across cultures. So I'm wondering if you have any final words on the basic is better Philosophy for those parents listening right now who are still concerned that basic toys may leave their children feeling deprived and bored, especially during a pandemic, right? Like nobody wants to be home with bored kids. Do you have any final words of wisdom there?
1: I, You know, my final word of wisdom is the best thing about basic toys is how well they can grow with your children over time. And the best example I can give is this: we we have this beautiful um, block set that that come in one of our kits, and they're done by Sabo Concept. That they're, they're a brand. The husband wife duo. She's the designer. He's a woodworker. They hand make these wooden blocks. They're stunning. I mean, I love them because they're the design is so nice. It makes it makes our playroom look beautiful. But watching how. A six-month-old might use them. They might be palming them. An 18-month-old might be using them by stacking three blocks, which is balance, coordination, concentration. And then watching a -a three-and-a-half-year-old like my oldest daughter use them, which she's creating these intricate villages. She calls them her bear village and no one can come in she she says that every time this is the bear village and no one can come in i'm like who who wants to come in but you know she'll set up this this very intricate imaginative play so basic toys what they not only are they allowing this deeper exploration they're open ended but they grow really well with children over time and so quite the opposite of depriving children they might be in fact infusing our children with these opportunities to explore deeply the creative concepts that are occurring in their in their minds. So I, I'm a big proponent of it. But again, no shame whatsoever in having active toys in the home. We've definitely got a few here. I've purged a few when the kids have been asleep. But I, I definitely am a big proponent in including some of those basics and really high quality basics that might stay with your child for years to come.
0: I want to ask you about a big pain point for me personally, which is the gendered toys. And I'm going to ask you how on earth parents can tackle the gendered toy gifts after a quick word from this week's sponsor. The Sustainable Minimalist Podcast is supported. By Charlie Banana. I am all about products that are better for my child and better for the planet, and that's why I'm a big advocate for Charlie Banana's cloth diapers. I love how easy it is to use Charlie Banana on my little one. I just pick one of their super cute diapers, add some reusable wipes, and if I'm on the go, I add disposable inserts and liners for easier cleanup convenience. Charlie Banana's diapers are made with carefully selected materials, such as fluffy fleece and premium organic cotton. They keep my daughter's sensitive skin comfortable and dry, too. I know you'll love Charlie Banana as much as I do. To help you get started, Charlie Banana has generously offered podcast listeners an amazing 31% off, and this deal is only available by heading to charliebanana.com forward slash minimal and using promo code minimal at checkout. That's charliebanana.com forward slash minimal with promo code minimal at checkout. Now back to the interview. So, one of my issues is the gendered toys, the princesses with the abnormally skinny bodies, the Barbies. I could go on and on. Research does say that parents. Sh- should do their best to prioritize gender-neutral toys, and I can do that myself very easily. It's not hard to discern the gender-neutral from the gendered. My issue is the gifts, the birthday presents, the Christmas gifts, (laughs) which You know, everybody wants to get the girls, the dolls, the boys, perhaps the trucks. I don't know. I don't have boys. But do you have any tips for parents like me who really want to create that not only minimalist, but also that gender neutral playroom and they just feel held back by
1: the gifts? I I think this is such an important topic, especially right after the holidays where we've probably observed what has come into our homes that is really well intentioned. Gifts are for many gift givers an act of love and an act of love for our children, which is such a beautiful thing. And I I try to always start with that with that frame of mind because I can get equally frustrated and feel this lack of control in what my children might be engaging with and learning from certain toys that I may not want them to learn or or may want to present a much more balanced viewpoint, have a discussion about why is this, is this doll shaped this way or colored this way? And a lot of times we can feel like we're on our heels. And I, I had a great conversation with an advisor on my team. There's a woman who advises Tiny Earth Toys. Her name is Nicole April. She has a baby girl. And she's just this mom I deeply respect for the, the way she approaches things like this. We were catching up, and I asked her this specific question. I asked her, what did she do about the holidays for her daughter? And she, she forwarded me a, a letter that she'd written to her family and friends. And what struck me most about this letter, because I think I've tried to do this in, a, in the past, and it's kind of maybe not been taken seriously or not been considered. And I think what I'd done in the past is maybe sent a list of no's. So do not, don't include this, no, to- no Barbies, no plastic. And I think that can, be, that can be really tough for others to receive because it probably paints me as a very controlling mom, but, but also might get in the way of what they believe they want to share with their grandchild, niece, nephew, etc. What Nicole did that I loved is she wrote a story and her story was about her values and her hopes for her daughter. And then what she did at the end was helped her family understand how they could support that with experiences and thoughtful gifts. And I read it and I thought, this is so inclusive. And I bet most parents or family members reading this would have no idea that, in fact, this was a list of do's and don'ts because it was framed in this way of what she hoped for her daughter. And what she hoped for her daughter was that she would grow up in an earth that was protected. She would grow up with the framework of equality in her mind. And some of the things that could be done to support that were specific experiences, specific books, specific items. And I followed up with her after the fact, and I think it was really effective. And it it was effective in building bridges too in her relationships, as opposed to probably what I've done, which is, no, 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 not this, not this, not this. It can start to feel a little bit like you're boxed in, so that might be my best advice, and and one that I am certainly going to be adapting from her this year.
0: That is such a great tip. I love how she flipped the script. Right, instead of coming from a place of negativity, don't do this, don't buy this, know this. Uh, she <laughs> started off with a really positive. I want this for my children. I want this type of future for my children. And yes, so I'm thinking like if I received a don't buy this, don't get this letter, I would roll my eyes. But if I got a letter, no offense to you, but if if I got such a positive and well-written dream a parent has for their children's future, I would be way more inclined to jump on board as a gift giver. So that is such a great idea. And I will just say for me in my own life, now I know this doesn't work for everybody, but it works like a charm for me is to give the gift givers lists. And don't just write, Books, (laughs) be specific about what books does your child want. I find that the more specific the list, the better because gift givers are united in wanting to make the child happy. They want to see the smile. So When we're extremely specific, it's easier for them. They don't have to go on the internet and rack their brains trying to think what will make this child happy. It's simple. It's easy. So lists and give them early, give them early, give them months in advance of the winter holidays and the birthdays. I'm so all on top of
1: list. (laughs) You and I both, I live by those lists. Yeah. I I mean,
0: I like to receive them when I'm giving gifts, right? It takes so much stress off my plate. And so I want to switch gears and I want to talk to you about eco-friendliness surrounding toys. And when we talk about eco-friendliness and toys, we of course have to talk about plastic. Plastic's a big problem everywhere, but it is an especially big problem when it comes to toys. So what are some of the problems surrounding sustainability and toys that you are trying to address with Tiny Earth?
1: Yeah, plastic's a big one. This is one that's surprised me. I think you see it firsthand as a parent when you're receiving toys or you're at a toy store pre-COVID. It's always shocking to see how much plastic Might be on the store shelves and in your home, but there was a stat published by a brand named EcoBirdie. They're using recycled plastic to make children's furniture. They published a study 90% of toys are made of plastic. They're used on average for less than six months, and 80% of them are thrown in the garbage, find their way into incinerators, or end up in the ocean. And that stat struck me in the gut. Because if you if you go into your playroom right now and you pick up whatever plastic toy you have and you search around for that recycled symbol, there's a really good chance you won't find it. And that's because the way the plastic is manipulated and created into this toy many times cannot be recycled. The, the key thing that I learned through that is that the, the plastic that's coming in doesn't have a way of being reprocessed. And so that, that's really important, both from the actual impact of the toy itself, but I, I keep thinking about how impactful that also is to our children who are observing us. And I'm going to continue on this stat train because I, I, I love research. I love being grounded in facts. Nature published a study this year, this past year, that consumption of affluent households worldwide is by far the strongest determinant and accelerator of increases of global environmental and social impacts. So what it means is families probably like mine, we are overconsuming and we're the largest contributor to the climate crisis worldwide. And, and that's that's kind of another punch to the gut that can start to make you feel like this big macro problem, what can I do? You know, I'm doing my best. I'm living my life. But for me, it became really real when, when you watch how your children imitate, mimic, and, and learn patterns and habits from us from a very, very young age. And I'll never forget, there was a day during the pandemic, it was a warm day. We have this nice front porch with a, a gate, and we were playing out on the front porch. And a delivery person showed up, and they dropped off a couple of Amazon boxes. And my daughter, who was three at the time, said, oh, are those for me? And I was really confused, like, why would they be for you? But she'd become so used to Amazon boxes equaling there was something in it for her that that was now a pattern and a habit that she had formed in her brain and was repeating back to me. And it, it just kind of all comes together, right? We're, we're consuming too much. What we're consuming are plastic toys that can't be recycled. And our kids are watching that. So there's this chance to not only make a decision about the thing that we ourselves are consuming, but in making that that choice and and change, we're also potentially changing how our children are learning those patterns and habits. Plastic and
0: plastic pollution are big problems. And I would just also mention there's another problem with plastic, which of course is the potentially hazardous health effects on our children. I just did an episode on potentially harmful products for children and Toys and plastic is something that parents may do well to consider, particularly soft plastic, particularly with young children who are putting toys in their mouths. So thank you for bringing up the environmental concerns associated with plastic toys, but I just wanted to do a quick plug for the potential health concerns as well. Let's talk about tiny earth. Talk to me about how on earth it works and why a listener listening right now should perhaps consider a toy subscription service
1: yeah so tiny earth toys works by families signing up for kits of toys and content the the items within the box are are generally between 6 and 9 wooden open-ended toys that have been selected by early childhood development experts, both educators as well as behavior specialists, and learning companion content alongside of that. Families keep these kits for four months before deciding if they'd like to extend their kit or exchange it for the next age-based kit. We are launching kits from birth to four years old the first week of March. Our first range of kits sold out in just a couple of weeks. And um, and so that, that was very encouraging to see families very excited about adopting this type of approach where they're being able to bring in the right developmentally appropriate items, play with them deeply, and then exchange them um, for, the, for the next set of, set of items.
0: It's such a great idea. The minimalists listening are probably (laughs) jumping up and down, right? Because the toys go back. And the environmentalists listening are probably also jumping up and down because there's no plastic, they're wood, they're open-ended, and again, they go back, which I think is just phenomenal. I wish this existed when my children were younger because, again, the, the time that... My children at least play with a toy is so short, I wish I could (laughs) send back the things that they no longer play with. But I have to ask you, in the time of COVID-19, how can parents be sure that the toys they're receiving are clean and sanitized?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and it was the the first thing. Is I was dreaming of this business that I I felt like needed to be solved because it's absolutely something we consider when we're receiving products in the mail. So you know, to start, we're, we're sourcing products that are our wooden products, which is uh, generally a surface a surface area that can be cleaned. Um, you know, we're not working with complex fabrics or porous items or different types of things that may have a different use profile. But then how how they're being processed and how they're being handled is really important to us. So to start always by masked and gloved individuals who are both cleaning as well as refurbishing products to excellent condition, but they're being cleaned with um, a cleaning solution that's on the EPA's list of disinfectants for use against SARS-CoV-2, the cause of COVID-19, and that cleaning is force of nature. What we love about it is that force of nature is made up of natural ingredients. It's made up of salt, water, and vinegar, and it's turned into a cleaner and disinfectant. So each toy is is cleaned very thoroughly before being air dried. It is then carefully repackaged where it spends between three and five days in transit. Mm.
0: I just have one more question for you. And it's a personal one. When I think about a toy subscription service, my biggest fear would be that I lose a toy or I lose a piece to a toy, especially if it's like a block set. What would I do in that situation if I had a tiny earth subscription box and I lost something? What happens then?
1: Well, I'll tell you that is like the number one concern. So we we had we had this first set of kits and they went out and there are a lot of loose pieces in in each of the kits that we released. And I heard from so many parents who said that this was actually creating some anxiety for them. They were kind of following their child around to make sure they weren't dropping a block, you know, down the vent or something like that. Which, I mean, my children do. I caught my 18-month-old literally putting a, a block down the vent the other day. We just expect that. The number one thing I want parents to know with this kit is we want your child to explore this endlessly and without restraint. We don't want you to have to chase around each toy and count them at the end of the day. How we help families ensure that the toys do come back is we provide not only a play guide, which is written by veteran educators, and it talks about a lot of concepts that can be learned through that specific kit. We include a toy guide as well, which are individual for each toy to remind you how many parts and pieces came in with that specific toy and some creative ways that you might introduce play with that toy to help Help parents if, if their child needs a refresher or you know they want to understand how it might be used. But if a parent or a child loses or you know damages an item, we're expecting that. You're not going to be penalized. There are no fees associated with that. So this beautiful SABO concept kit of blocks that has 45 pieces. If it comes back to us with 42, that's okay. I've planned for that. I have some excess inventory of those specific kits to ensure that the next family receives a complete set.
0: Well, I think I speak for parents everywhere when I say thank you for that, because as parents, we have so much on our plates as it is. There's opportunities to be anxious (laughs) everywhere we look. So not having to be anxious about losing a piece or two is a wonderful thing. Where can listeners learn more about Tiny Earth Toys and potentially join the waitlist?
1: Yeah, well, you can join the waitlist at www.tinyearth.co and we will be releasing to our waitlist first the first week of March our new range of kits. So you can join there. There's there's you know no no strings or anything attached with the waitlist. You can just join it. We're actually doing some really fun giveaways right now for our waitlist. We just Drew a winner for a set of Sabo Concept Castle Blocks. So join the waitlist. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Tiny Earth Toys, and um, we are so excited about launching in March and getting these kits out there in the world. Well,
0: I'm so excited for you. I think it's amazing that you've already sold out. There is a definite need in the toy space for a toy subscription company like yours. I cannot wait to watch Tiny Earth just take over. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie. This has been a blast. I so
0: hope you enjoyed that interview with Rachel Classy of Tiny Earth Toys. You can learn more about Tiny Earth Toys, and you can join the no-obligation waitlist via the link in this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 164. That's mamaminimalist.com forward slash 164. Now, real quick, if you liked hearing about minimalism and sustainability and parenthood, you should definitely check out my new book. It's aptly titled Sustainable Minimalism. There is an entire chapter all about addressing these pain points. The chapter is called Day-to-Day Minimalism with Kids. You can find Sustainable Minimalism as an e-book, as an audiobook, or as a paperback wherever books are sold. Now, real quick, we do have an eco tip this week. It's been a while since I've received one, but I want to thank Jessica for reaching out. Jessica wanted me to remind all of you to remember your local pharmacy as you are spring cleaning your bathrooms. Pharmacies tend to take over-the-counter drugs, veterinarian drugs, prescription drugs that are expired or you just don't want in your house anymore. Don't throw them in the trash. Don't flush them down the toilet. Instead, call at your pharmacy, make sure they take them, and then dispose of them properly through your pharmacy. On next week's show, we are discussing eight minimalist style principles when it comes to our closets. And oh my goodness, you guys, this is such a good episode. My sweatpant loving self learned so much. I will see you next week. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends. Sick
1: of being upsold at gyms?